Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Amen. Thank you. Um, I just want to say thank you to the church for having us in. We had just an incredible weekend um, with a lot of the couples here. And so it was just awesome for us to be here. Um, We have a deep love for Meredith and Jeremy. But let me just say this to you that, that may just kind of maybe this is your first time, maybe you've come in and you've been attending here for just a little bit of time and maybe you don't know um, some of the staff and the elders um, maybe as well. Let me just say right up front, you have an incredible group of staff and elders that are leading this church. And I mean that, I just don't say that um, because I'm held accountable for the words I say. And so I'm not just gonna say that just to, to you know, make you feel good. I'm truly saying the staff and elders that you have here have a servant's heart that wanna get after Jesus and let the broken come in. And so that's really where we're gonna go even this morning. This whole series that you guys have been in on Epiphany and about being known and about knowing Jesus, um, it, it really, it shapes a lot of how you were raised. I mean, how you were raised can shape on how you feel about being known. Um, I was raised in a very abusive home. I was raised where, man, I like to build walls. I don't want people in my junk. I don't want people knowing my stuff. And because of that, the idea of trust and the idea of me trusting somebody was really difficult for me. The idea of having a heavenly father that loves me when I never felt love for my earthly father, that, that was a struggle for me. It was a struggle because I, I thought, well, my dad knows me and he doesn't love me. So if my heavenly father knows me, man, certainly he won't love me. And it wasn't until I began to see in Psalms when it says, when my father and mother forsake me, that the Lord will lift me up. And I began to see that, wow, I can be accepted and loved for who I am, for this broken mess that I am, that he wants to know me and he wants me to be fully known. Sometimes we have this weird view of Jesus. We have this view of Jesus that, that he doesn't wanna be in the broken world. We have this view that, that you know, maybe he's just a little too soft for our world today. And, and so make no mistake about it, Jesus wants to be and will enter right into the mud, to the grime, to the blood, to the messiness of your story. So I never want you to come in to Sharon Church and sit here and think, well, wow, that's great for them, but they don't know my story. If they knew my story, I probably wouldn't be as accepted. Let me just, I I just wanna set this out as a get-go this morning. I don't need to know your story. I know the gospel. So I don't need to know what your background is. I don't need to know where you failed. I don't need to know how bad you've been hurt. And I'm not, you know, saying that's not real. I'm just saying I know the gospel. And the gospel says regardless of whatever hurt you have, regardless whatever your past is, regardless what anybody's ever done to you, When you feel shame and you feel like retreating back, he says, no, I I want you to come in. This is when I want to know you. I want to be fully known. But we struggle to comprehend this grace because we fail to see Jesus in the grime. A lot of us at times, and I know I've been there where I feel like I've outsinned the grace of God. Where I feel like there's things I've done where God just looks down and he's like, "Ah, you again. You are such a disappointment to me. But that's not how he sees me. We see in Colossians that he looks down on me and calls me holy. That's who my identity is. But because sometimes we feel, well, my sin has outsinned 
the grace of God or I am too far gone. And, and maybe you don't feel that way, but maybe you feel a family member or a neighbor, yeah, they may be too far gone. We don't get to place that on people. And you don't get to place that on yourself. Because if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says that your mercies are new every morning and there's no sin that's out sin the grace of God. So I want you to be free in that this morning as we dig into this passage. Because a lot of times we carry this over into our relationships. So I know I carried this over into a ton of my relationships that I thought if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. And that's something I've still struggled with. That if people knew the real me and the failures I've had, they probably wouldn't like me. More than likely, I would probably be asked to stop leading a home group, probably be asked to leave the church if they knew the real me. Those are lies that the enemy has spoken over all of us. And I just wanna declare this morning, the enemy has no place in here. The enemy has no place to declare anything over you. Because if you know Jesus, he said that that's who you are. I have you and you are mine. So if you have your Bible in John chapter four, we're gonna dig into this. And I love this passage as we're gonna get into it because we're gonna see that Jesus is not for the perfect and the put together, but he's for the beat down and the broken. We're also gonna see that all the religious leaders at that time, they thought that Jesus was for the perfect. They thought that he was for the put together. I mean, we see uh, in Luke when, when Jesus had dinner with a tax collector that they lost their mind. They lost their mind when he interacted with people that, that society would say, hey, you're a little broken or outcasts that just didn't, didn't seem to fit in anywhere. When he enters into that, people lose their mind because they had their identity tied up and thinking, well, no, the Messiah is only supposed to be for the good, the perfect, and you know, the put together. It's not for the beat up and the broken. So today we're gonna get front row seats of this grace to an unexpected person at an unexpected time with an unexpected result. And through this encounter, we're gonna see this woman She's gonna be known to herself, she's gonna be known to Jesus, and she's gonna be known to those around her. So in John chapter four, we're gonna start in verse three, and we're gonna read quite a bit this morning. So if you have your Bible, just jump in, follow along. We're gonna read a few passages and break it down. So we're gonna start, and we're gonna read verse three through seven to start off. Talking about Jesus, said, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting there beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to, came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So let me give you a little background on why this is such a, a, a weird deal. Because the Samaritans at that time, they were a small hated community in Northern Israel. I mean, they were an absolute hated community. Um, this had been going on for over a thousand years. That northern part of Israel had been taken over by the Assyrians. And so what the Assyrians did is they thought, man, the best way to get rid of Israel is just to breed them out. So they would send people in there to have mixed breed kids and thought, and all the people in southern Israel thought, well, we can't go through there. If we go through there, they're a mixed breed. They're not like us. We would actually, they describe it as being defiled if they were to walk through that area. So look at it this way. It would almost be like us if we're gonna travel somewhere saying, you know what, that state, if I was to drive through that state, I would actually be defiled by driving through that state. So I'm actually gonna go around that state just to get to the destination I wanna get to, but I can't drive through that state because if I drive through that state, 
I would actually, actually be defiled, and let alone if I ever talked to somebody from that state. I mean, that's the kind of uh, hatred they had for these people. So we see this, and we see that Jesus ends up saying in verse four, it says that he had to pass through Samaria that he had to pass through Samaria. What's amazing about that phrase is it's used in the imperfect tense. And what that means is that he was having to go, but he didn't have to go. There was other routes. He could have gone other ways to get where he wanted to go, but the spirit of God had compelled him in such a way that he had to go. There was something, and I don't know if you've ever felt the spirit of God so heavy on you that says, hey, you need to do this. You, you need to engage here. You need to speak this word. Um, and, and so this is what was happening. Jesus felt so, I've got to go through this area. He was compelled by the spirit to go through this area, to have this conversation with this woman. And I don't want you to miss this, is this was just an everyday conversation. And so your everyday conversations, the person you're having coffee with on Tuesday, that's a divine appointment. The people you interact with and you're gonna have dinner with on Friday, that's a divine appointment. And you may say, well, what do you mean by divine appointment? What I mean is there's an opportunity for you to share your story and what God's done in your life, that you can reflect the glory of God to these people and say, hey, you know what, over coffee, can I just tell you what my week's been like? Can I tell you where I've struggled? Can I tell you how the Lord's been good? So you have these divine appointments. And he says that he had to pass through Samaria. It also goes on to say that he was wearied from his journey. I love that it included this in the passage because sometimes we separate Jesus from humanity I mean, we don't like to think that Jesus walks up a hill and he's huffing and puffing that he's out of breath. We don't like to see it like, well, hang on, that's Jesus. Yeah, that is Jesus. It says that he was wearied from his journey. He was wore out from everything that's going on. So he goes and sits down at this well and he ends up meeting this woman. And it says that it was about the sixth hour. And this is the first glimpse we get of this woman being known. The sixth hour in that time is around noon. It was around noon, and it's key because we see that she was known by her community, and she was known by her community for not a very good thing. So this is around noon. You do not go get water at noon. You would go get water really early in the morning. All the women of the, of the community would go down, they would get water, and they would bring it back for the day. But something about this woman said, no, I can't go then. I can't go when everybody else goes. I, ha I have to go at midday when nobody's there. And so you begin to question, well, what would be about her that she wouldn't wanna be there with everybody else? I mean, she was known in her community as an outcast of outcasts. She didn't wanna be seen. More than likely, the other women of the town didn't wanna know her, but she was embarrassed to go. And so I want you to kind of get an idea of the humanity of what's happening here. You have this woman who we're gonna find lived in shame and went from relationship to relationship looking for acceptance. She felt that she wasn't worthy to be around other women. She felt that, that what she had done in her life had put her too far gone. And then you're gonna see the Savior step in and enter in in such a way, in such a beautiful way, that none of us can walk out of here today saying, I'm too far gone. So look at verse seven. Look at the, at the beginning of the interaction between these two. It's so awesome. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Uh, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And you're gonna see even the cultural difference here. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So once again, that cultural issue, that cultural divide. 
And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and then he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. And so I love the fact that even in this cultural um, difference that Jesus enters in. And I love the conversation because she begins to ask, why, why are you talking to me? I mean, you understand, let alone a man and a woman talking like that was really, really weird, let alone their cultural differences of him being a Jew and her being a Samaritan. And she says, well, why are you talking to me? And she still thinks this whole talk is about water. She still thinks that everything Jesus is saying is about the actual water. And she says, and I love how she, she looks at this. Look at the end of verse 15. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I love, once again, the way that's worded. Because she's saying, hey, give me this water. I want this. I want this living water, but you see the reason for why she wants it? So I won't be thirsty. And I don't want to have to come back here again. I don't want to have to come back at noon anymore. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to have to have my shame. Um, you're saying that I, this living water and I won't thirst again. I would love to not ever have to thirst again because it hurts every day whenever I have to come out here to get this water. I'm incredibly embarrassed every day. If there's a way that you can do something where I don't have to actually draw water again, I would love that. Because every time I come back here, I'm reminded of my past and I'm reminded of where I failed and it just hurts. And I love the way that Jesus enters in because not only that, we see the second thing is that she is known for her wound. Look at verse 16. Jesus said to her, and this is where it gets real. This is where it kind of takes a really awkward twist. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. So without just like glossing over scripture, that's a really weird turn in a conversation. If you're having a conversation with somebody and he goes, hey, go get your husband. I don't have one. Yeah, I know. You've got five and the guy you're sleeping with now isn't your husband either. I know. I mean, that's, that's just like a really awkward turn in a conversation. Um, the one that you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. So she was known by her wound. We see that she had been widowed five times. The person that she's with right now was not even her husband. We don't know if the people had died. We don't know if there was divorce. We don't know if there was adultery. We don't know any of that. We just know that there's five different relationships previous to this, that she had gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. And the person that she was even with right now was not her husband. And so here's what's beautiful about our Savior is Jesus doesn't want some easy belief system. He wants to get to the root of her hurt and to the root of her being known. Because what we do is when we're wounded, we tend to self-protect. I don't know about you, but I, I used to always build walls, man. I wanted to protect. But what we talked about this morning and sang about this morning, that it's so much different when you take darkness and bring it into light because we see that when we bring it into light, scripture says that it loses its power. 
But if somebody begins, begins to press on a wound of ours or somebody begins to press on a, a past hurt, our immediate reaction is, okay, I need to build some walls. You don't know me that well, so I'm not letting you in. And so Jesus begins to enter in and he's so gentle in how he does it that he gets after her wound. Because sometimes we operate in the wounds and we don't even know it. We don't even know it. So for so long, anger for me was really, really big. Um, oh, I'll say sometimes, still is really, really big. Um, that's kind of uh, where I kind of tend to, to go to. But it was anger because I never felt I was accepted by people. And so what I would always do is, is it's always been described, and the, the people that were here this weekend, you've heard this quite a bit, about the ideal self and the shadow self. So I'm just gonna say what I've done, and you can interpret it on maybe how it lands in your life. But for so long, I wanted to project that I had it together, that my marriage was good, that my kids were, were great, that they never struggled, that man, everything was just great. Perfect, perfect, great, great. Give me the mask, I'm gonna put it on. I'd love to tell you how awesome our family is because we've got it all together. I mean, if you look at our Instagram, you can see we take some really cool vacations. I mean, we're just pretty awesome people. And so that's what I would portray to people. And it was, everybody giggles because you know it's not true and you don't even know me and you know it's not true. Uh, but it's, it's funny because we put all that profile up and, you know, we end up seeing everybody else's Facebook profile and wow, they went to Barbados and I went to Branson, Missouri. How come I can't go to Barbados? How come they're better than me? And so well, I need to project. I need to make sure everybody knows that I've just got it all together. And that's what I would do is I would project that I had this all together. But then when I would go home, I would be over here and I would sit under guilt and shame because I knew that what I really was didn't match up to what I was portraying. What I tried to show everybody that had it all together, that his family was great, that everything was awesome, it just didn't add up. And so I would sit here and the enemy would use this to guilt me and to shame me and to saying, yeah, you aren't very good. Actually, Aaron, you are a failure. Aaron, you're failing your kids like your dad failed you. Aaron, you need to listen to that because if people knew the real you, that over there is so fake that it would be such a difference that they wouldn't like you at all. Because you know the enemy wants to destroy you, right? I hope you understand that it's not a game, that he wants to speak evil over you, he wants to condemn you, he wants to kill you, he wants to destroy you, he wants to keep you beat down. And he does that when you try to portray something that's not real. When you're being falsely known by portraying something that's not real and you sit over here and you know the real you and you're refusing to let anybody see that, he's gonna speak lies over you in such a way that it can leave you a prisoner to those lies. Because you feel if I ever did come out and let people know the real me, that this over here would fall away and this over here would fall away. And the great thing is, is that's exactly where the Lord wants you. He wants you to be right here where he's called you and who your true identity is. That I don't wanna gloss over this, that you have to understand that if you know Jesus as your savior, you are a son of the king. That, that's not a flippant term. That's an identity. That if you're here, you are a daughter of the Most High. That you are loved. You know, Scripture says that he calls you beloved. That he calls you holy. And I know in my life, well, okay, I, I don't feel holy. Well, I'm not gonna base it off of feelings. I'm gonna base it off the truth of God's word, that that's who he calls me. And that's what he enters into because it makes it difficult for us to walk in the grace of God if we're continuing to sit over here with our shadow self and sit over here and project this ideal self. I truly believe that if you're 99% known, you're 100% unknown. 
If you're 99% known to those around you, you're 100% unknown. And here's why I say that. If there's 1% that I'm hanging on back over here, this little secret, this little sin that I just don't want you to know about, I'm gonna let you know all the other stuff. And I'm gonna make it sound like I've told you everything, but I'm gonna hold on to this 1% back over here. I'm telling you, you're 100% unknown. And here's why, because if you hold on to this little 1% and for maybe you it's 15%, maybe it's 50%, I don't know you. I just know for me, I like to hang on sometimes to the little things. And so I'm hanging on to this, not letting people know about it. Do you know what I can't get when I'm hanging on to this? I can't receive love. I can't receive encouragement. I can't receive those things because if I'm hanging on to this 1%, I think, well, I know you're telling me you love me and I know you wanna encourage me, but if you knew this 1%, you wouldn't be saying those things. If you knew this 1%, you wouldn't say you love me still. If you knew this 1%, you wouldn't encourage me because this 1% is kind of dark. And I really don't want anybody to know that. And so what Jesus is saying to this woman is, hey, I know you. I know you, you're fully known, enter into this. Because that's when we have grace. That's when we have this healing and we can walk in who we are. It's really, it's the difference between touching a wound and touching a scar. When Jesus is speaking to this woman and he begins to bring up her husbands, it's the difference between touching a wound and touching a scar. So a couple months ago, being the old man that I am, I was playing softball and would love to say that it was like some home run, you know, Kurt Gibson run where I'm just kind of, I won the whole game or I dove and no, it wasn't anything that cool. I literally did that. That was it. I did that and blew out my ACL. Don't know how. I didn't even bend my knee. I literally leaned over to pick up the ball. I heard a loud snap and I dropped. And I'm like, what? Well, I'm not that old. I'm not that old at all. I mean, I'm, I'm 46, about to be 47. I think, man, I still got game left. So I go to the doctor, we're talking about it all. And he was like, hey, um, you know, we're gonna have to do a, a replacement of that. And I said, okay, okay, do we do a cadaver or do we use my own tissue? And his phrase to me is, oh, well, of somebody your age. And I said, well, <laughs> slow your roll, doc. I mean, what, what do you mean my age? I'm, I, like I said, I'm 46, I still got game. He goes, well, no, somebody your age, we recommend, you know, just using a cadaver because, and I was like, well, is my tissue all, I mean, what's wrong with my tissue? I mean, I feel like I'm good. And so we go in, we have the surgery and I've got all these holes in my knee. I had it, what, six, eight weeks ago, something like that. And so right afterwards, there's, there's a thing that happens that, that you have this wound and you're really, you don't want it touched and you're really protective. And some people use crutches to walk with. I used them to, to deflect and hit people that got too close to my knee. I just didn't want anybody touching my knee because it was a wound and it was really, really tender. And it was something that if somebody touched it, it really, really hurt. But now it's to the point where it's a scar where I still don't want you hitting me, but it's tender, but it's not horrible. And it's the same thing that Jesus is stepping into here. He's stepping in and he's touching this woman's wound and it hurts. And it's a little painful as he's unveiling it. But it's so good for her as we're gonna see that he brings that into the light and she sees that she's fully known and fully loved and fully accepted. And it's a real shame that the place that Jesus wants to do the most significant work is the place that you and I try to hide the most. So her question was this, and this is, this is just a question you need to ask yourself. This isn't about you asking your spouse or your kids. You need to ask yourself this. Her wound was all of her past relationships that she looked to for acceptance and love. When Jesus said to him, uh, when Jesus said to her, um, go get your husband, that was her wound. 
But what would the question be to you? Hey, go get your internet history. Hey, go get your financial statements. Hey, go get and fill in the blank. What is your wound? Hey, go get your daddy issues. Hey, go get your past hurts. Go get your abuse. When you turn it and make it a little personal, it's a little harder. That was her wound. My wound, there's many, but it was love and acceptance from a father. The fear of failure. And so as he begins to press on the wound, I love the fact that he doesn't stop. But she tried to defend it with theology. I mean, look at her, look at in verse 19. I love the way that she does this. She's smooth, I'll give her that. She says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Somebody reads your mail like that, and the next statement you say, hey, I think you're a prophet. I mean, that's a little bit of an understatement. I mean, he just read her mail. In verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. So she immediately turns it on this theology talk. She immediately turns it and says, well, well hang on, what music do you listen to? I mean, are, are you drums or no drums? What kind of worship music do you have? She turns this theology and says, well, hang on, I hear that people should worship here and people should worship there. And her worry's legit. I mean, truth is a thing that we all battle and we all wanna know from, but you're never gonna get anywhere if you don't let Jesus adjust the truth in your life, that what are you trying to hide? What are you trying to hide? So continue to go on, look at verse 23. Verse 23 is that we see that she is finally fully known. Verse 23, Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She say, he says, well, the hour's coming and now is here that the Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth, that God wants to know you in spirit and truth. In verse 26, when Jesus entered in, now she's trapped. She can't go anywhere because verse 26, go back and look at verse 26. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the first time in scripture that Jesus reveals I am to anybody. And I love the fact that it's not to some political leader. I love that it's not even to the disciples. I love that it's not to some religious leader. That he looks at this broken woman who longed for acceptance, who longed for love, and he looks to her and says, hey, I'm he. I am. And so you can't sit in here this morning and say, well, Aaron, he wouldn't say that to me. No, he did say that to you. He did say that to you. Jesus entered in. It's a free gift of God's grace. It's not tied to the person's past or present. So let me encourage you with this. that This should dissolve all of the stupidity of who Jesus is and what he's after. He's not after whether you wear a suit or tie. He's not after that. He's not after whether you go to this church or a church down the road. He's not after that. What he's after is your heart. And he's relentlessly to pursue that, to get after your heart, to get after your wound because it's for your good. And God is not expecting perfection. I mean, have you looked at men and women in the Bible? They grow up really, really slowly. But God never backs down his lavish grace on them. 
So look at verse 28, that through all of this, now she begins to make Jesus known. Verse 28, we'll read 28 to 30, then we'll jump down. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I guarantee you there were men in the town that like, he told you what? Yeah, he told you everything you've ever done? Okay, we need to go find out who this, who this guy is. Can this be the Christ? Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Now jump down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. That this is indeed the savior of the world. I love the fact that they believe because of the woman's testimony. Let me encourage you with this this morning as we get ready to wrap up here in just a couple minutes is that God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt in your life. That he is working and he's gonna cross your path with somebody and you say it's just so happens, but it's the sovereignty of God that he's gonna cross your path with somebody that has a very similar hurt that you're able to encourage and let them know about Jesus. It was because of this woman's testimony. They said, we have heard for ourselves and we know this and indeed the savior of the world. No longer, it's not off what you said. It's gone from my head to my heart. And it's amazing that how you're once, and once you are fully known, you no longer feel the desire to hide. You no longer feel the desire to run. Jesus's love gave her the two things she sought, to be accepted, to be loved, and to be known. But Jesus knew everything about her and still spoke acceptance of her. So here's my encouragement this morning as we close out. My encouragement this morning is this. I want you to lay down the 1%. I want you to lay down that 1%. So as scripture said, streams of living water can flow. What we talked about earlier, what we, what we sang about earlier, the truth of scripture, these streams of living water. It says, I, I want you to lay down the 1%. Because the affection of God does not fluctuate on your behavior. It doesn't fluctuate on your behavior. It's not like on tomorrow when you forget to read your Bible that he's up there saying, oh, forgot to read your Bible. No grace for you, bam, and just drops the hammer. It's not how he does it. But so many times that's what we think. Well, I didn't read my Bible much this week. Great, you got next week. Praise him when you're praising him. Dig in when you dig in. But you can't guilt trip yourself so much that you have some expectation that you didn't follow the Our Daily Bread Read Through the Bible in a Year program that you're not a good Christian. That's not how the Lord sees this. Our pastor says this all the time, and it's so powerful, is that God is not waiting for a better future version of you to love. He's not waiting for a future version of you to love. It's right where you are, in the middle of your hurt, in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the grime. That's when he steps in and says, I love you. I got this. Yeah, but I did this. I know you did this. But I also want you to know what I did on the cross. That he knew what he was paying for when he died on the cross. He knew what he was paying for. It's not like your sin all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, man, I didn't see that coming. No, he knew. 
Let me ask you this. How many of your sins, when Jesus died on the cross, were future sins? All of them. All of them. Your past, present, your future is secured in him. He has paid that price. You don't have to live under that. That is the enemy wanting you to live uh, in shame and guilt, and we don't welcome that. Through the power of Jesus, you don't have to live that way. The Spirit can come alive in your heart, and you can walk out of here different than when you walked in. You can make a decision today where the Lord has wooed you to himself that changes generations in your family line. That can happen today. This isn't, well, Aaron, you know, I gotta get this all put together. No, that's just that you don't have to get it put together. You just have to come to him. You don't have to have it all together to come to him. Through the highs and lows, he will shape you to be known and to make him known. Now, here's the risk. You can lay down that 1%. And your life may be a little different. You confess, you lay down that 1%, it may be a little different. You may have somebody who doesn't wanna hang out with you as much. You may have somebody that maybe says a comment about you that isn't too kind. But what if, what if that's okay? And what if that's better? Because when you're in the light, you are free. It's exhausting to try to hide. You can be free. And knowing that if man doesn't accept you or somebody else rejects you, that you are accepted and loved by the most high. I'll tell you, this isn't a time for you to get on Facebook, dear Facebook, and you type out, this is what I've done. I'm letting everybody know my 1%. No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is you get with your spouse, you get with a friend, you get with your home group and say, guys, hey, I've been living this ideal where I've tried to portray to you guys this, but it's not true. Will you guys still love me and accept me because this is who I really am? And that's when the Lord says, yes, now I'm gonna move. Now I'm gonna build. Now I'm gonna use you because I've got this over here and I've got this over here. That we're all one big piece of this beautiful tapestry that he's weaving together. And you have gifts that I don't have. And that's great because he's got this beautiful plan that he's weaving together. And let me just say right up front, I don't, I don't want to be a part of a perfect church. I don't wanna be a part of a clean church because as soon as I show up, I'm gonna jack it up. A clean church is a lot like a clean barn. Clean church is a lot like a clean barn. Not much life, not much work, and no profitable yield. Proverbs says it this way. It says, where there is no oxen, the manger is clean. It's pretty self-explanatory. I wanna be a part of a grimy, gritty church that is known to each other, that is known to Jesus, and that is making him known to those around us. I wanna be a part of a church and I'm telling you, Sharon is so wired for this and is so laying this out. That's what I so love about this place is that there's gonna be people that are gonna walk through those doors that said, I've gone to other places. Nobody accepts me. And there's gonna be one of you here that says, you know what? I accept you, come on in. Well, you don't know me. Well, I know, but I know my savior. And I know the gospel says that you're welcome. 
Imagine what that would do to a community that says, hey, we're willing to welcome the broken in and we just wanna run after Jesus. We're gonna struggle, we're gonna fall, but we're just gonna fall forward, we're gonna get up and we're gonna continue to run after Jesus. What would that look like in your neighborhood? What would that look like in your life? If you would just bow your heads with me real quick. To be known as one of the most freeing and beautiful things in the world. But I just wanna ask real quick, and I don't know you, so I'm not gonna come talk to you or bug you. I just wanna know if you say, Aaron, I'm here. And maybe I've been coming here for a while and maybe I haven't been here in a really long time or maybe I've been coming my whole life. But Aaron, man, this morning the spirit just convicted my heart that I need Jesus. I've been playing a game. I don't know him, but I need him. Aaron, would you just pray for me? Would you just pray for me that, that I would be obedient? Would you just pray for me? Because I have some questions. There's some things I need to work out, but I know I need Jesus. Would you just raise your hand just so I can pray for you? Thank you, thank you. Second question, Aaron, I'm here and I've been holding on to that 1%. Aaron, I've been living out of that ideal self and then I go home and know that it doesn't add up and I'm just living with guilt and shame and I'm tired, Aaron. Aaron, I'm just tired of playing this game. Aaron, I wanna step into truth. I wanna lay my 1% down. Aaron, would you just pray for me that I would have the courage to lay my 1% down? Would you just raise your hand? Wow. Thank you. Father, you are good. Your name and your name alone is worthy to be praised. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this woman's testimony that you stepped in, that you didn't shy away from the grime. You didn't shy away from the, the messiness, but you stepped into it in a loving way and were fully known. I thank you that you stepped into my life in the mess. Jesus, we praise you for that. I pray for the ones that raised their hand that did not know you, I pray for the ones that raised their hand that said, hey, there's just some things I need to work out. I need to lay this 1% down. Thank you for vulnerability and transparency, knowing, Jesus, that you don't reject that, but you love a broken and contrite heart. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.